Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Later in the show, author and retinal surgeon Longmeadows Dr. Andrew Lamb on his newest book, The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases. He'll be at the South Hadley Public Library this Wednesday, and he'll join us later in the hour. And Mr. Universe, Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid on the new global space race to the moon with the latest entrant, India. And our search for the best pizza in Western Mass continues with Pizza Quest Volume 5 at Magpie in Greenfield. But first, Monty has an update on one way our community is helping farmers affected by those devastating floods from last week. Time for a special CISA addendum because of all of the flooding that we had last week and all of the sad tales that we're hearing all along the Connecticut River watershed area about farms that were affected. A little bit of a follow-up this week. Phil Corman from CISA Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. Years ago, I believe, if I'm correct, it was in the wake of Hurricane Irene, which also did quite a number to our farms with floods. An emergency farm fund was opened by CISA, and that farm fund is now reopened in light of the floods of last week. That's right, Monte. We started that uh, emergency farm fund with contributions from individuals and businesses. And sadly, or gladly enough, in the last uh, 10 years, we've been loaning out no-interest loans. We've done uh, $500,000 of no-interest loans to 54 farms, and we've reopened it now, including the February disaster for the peach crop and the May 18th freeze that affected berries and stone fruits. We just opened it up now in response to the flooding. The Franklin County CDC is our partner again. The Community Development Corporation, not the Center for Disease Control. Easy to uh, get those confused. Uh, And John White there has been just a great collaborator. So we're able to offer to farms $25,000 loans or less at no interest. And uh, farms need to apply to do that. August 1st is when we'll start reviewing applications. The farms can submit any time, and they can submit until October 1st. So where is this money that you're loaning out coming from initially? It all came from individuals and businesses, and we have individuals and businesses now donating now in light of the floods and rains. And when people give to the emergency farm fund, it's a revolving loan fund. So those dollars stay in the farm community getting loaned out again and again. I should say uh, we are posting all the individual farm GoFundMe pages also and information so farms and the community can go to buylocalfood.org to be updated about ways to be involved. So some farms like Mountain View Farm in East Hampton, Stone Soup have put up their own GoFundMes and Correct. you can donate directly to them if you if you have a relationship with them, if you care about the work that they're doing. If you care about farms writ large in general and don't really know where to put your money this CESA Emergency Farm Fund is one option where it's a loan. It'll go out. That loan will be paid back at no interest and then be available there again for when, sadly, the next inevitable agricultural disaster for our region hits. That's right. Well, that's depressing. It's been a depressing week for farmers. But, Phil, you're promising me that the next time we talk, we're going to have a little bit more of a positive thing like ice cream? You know, I I scream and, you know, you scream and I think we all scream for ice cream. Indeed. Indeed. Except for people who are lactose intolerant. That's right. Then they, they scream for other reasons. <laughs> a reminder that CISA is an underwriter of New England Public Media. Tomorrow we'll taste that ice cream from Grand Val Farm in Granville. But speaking of tasting. First foray into to Franklin County for Pizza Quest. Pizza Quest, Volume 5. Pizza Quest! 
where we try on the Fabulous 413 to find the best pizza in the four counties of Western Mass. We did contact our resident pizza guru, Mark Latenzi, but he is waiting for his dishwasher fixer to come. I ordered a part for my dishwasher today. We were running parallel Italian lines, but we are joined by our director, Tony Dunn, who recommended two of the Berkshire pizza places that we went to. And we are here at our first Franklin County Pizza Quest at Magpie in Greenfield. Pizza Quest Magpie was recommended by Amy Traverso. Amy Traverso is the host of all sorts of wonderful podcasts and food-related ventures. And uh, when we had her on, recommended Magpie. Let's see. Heading into Greenfield, uh, it's always really wonderful to be able to stop at Magpie. We're putting that on the list of Amy Traverso's uh, okay. picks for our Western Mass <laughs> Pizza Quest. I've been coming to this place since Jump Street. We were literally here right before the birth of my 10-year-old son. We're also joined by special guests, the, the rest of the Belmontes. What? I think the birth was in process at that point. Yeah. That's my wife, Professora Belmonte. There was a special thing that happened while you were in labor here at Magpie. Professora, would you like to recount that story? Dax Shepard was sitting right there and I interrupted him and talked to him, which is a thing I don't do. <laughs> Famous actor Dax Shepard, who's married to what's her name, Enzo? Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell, who's from is what? Gossip Girl. Hey, Upper East Siders. Gossip Girl here. Way to ruin it. Well, Dax and from Veronica Mars. The only reason I was allowed past the velvet ropes was Duncan Kane. And the good place. Somebody royally forked up. I love the good place, yeah. Was Anna in. from Pro. <laughs> she's in all the things and she's wonderful. Yes. And Dax Shepard was sitting right there in the corner and my wife who is a like a committed introvert with pushing baby power, labor energy, just went up to him and You were talking to some annoying listeners and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go talk to Dax Shepard. <laughs> and then you had a baby like three hours later. You're a superhero. <laughs> But also, Dax Shepard is in one of my favorite horror movies. What? Idiocracy. Oh yeah, that is a horror movie. Yes. Oh, you just go away, Baton! All right, and we're gonna do what we do at every pizza quest, which is get the same pizza, but- Except for the one, the one, except for the exception. We won't recount what happened in Lennox. What happens in Lennox stays in Lennox. We're gonna get a one cheese pizza, and we're gonna get a pepperoni pizza with mushroom. Yes. And it's gonna be on a separate check, WGBH, from my family's stuff and our alcohol. You hear that, powers that be? Okay, on the non-alcohol check we will have. Okay. We will have one cheese pizza. Okay. And one pepperoni and mushroom. Not the uh, custom pie, please. Sure. I have a kid's pizza? Yes. This is the separate check now. I got it. Yeah. Magpie's wood-fired pizza. And as we have learned in many of our pizza questings, temperature, extreme heat is what makes for the leoparding on the crust. Yes. So we're looking for something to have a little bit of, well, if they're doing it Neapolitan style, we're not gonna get that same like firm structure as we learned and at some point from our pizza guru, and maybe you'll learn too at some point in the future, time will give you the structure that we're looking for something firm. Like Neapolitan pizza tends to be a little floppy because it's only got a short period of time in a super, super hot oven to give you any of that structure and that's just doesn't always happen time and heat we'll see how it goes here at the magpie have you ever been here tony i have not i'm oh, excited i've heard lots of great things about this uh, our own erin o'neill at nepm this comes highly recommended by her as well i've had one of my favorite pies ever from this place it was arugula and lemon i didn't know that that was a combination you could have and then once i did i wanted almost nothing else
Okay, the Belmonte family has gotten their own separate pizzas that are apart from Pizza Quest. What did you get, Enzo? We got meatball. Pax, what did you get? I got a cheese pizza. Kids cheese. What's over here, Atticus? There's a Catalan shrimp pizza with a lot of fresh arugula on it. Atticus, you're going to go to college in a month. I know. It's crazy. You're a grown man. I am. I just registered my car. I'm wow. so grown up. Hey, at least you're doing it now. I didn't get my license until I was 28. Enzo. You're going to turn 16 at the end of the month, and you're going to get your learner's permit. Yeah. And Pax, what you're else? 10, and I've already had a root canal. I remember it. <laughs> you're a kung fu expert. Sort of? On guard. I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. Okay. I like peanut. Our pizza has arrived. We have our cheese and our mushroom and pepperoni. Observations, Scully Smith. Okay, so Neapolitan style for sure. There's very little leoparding. I think that might be a factor of the thing that we have run into a bunch, which is us showing up too early. Like if the oven was getting hotter and hotter as the evening they, progresses. Right, then yeah. we'd have a little bit more. But, like, not terrible. There's good spotting on the top. There is not a brick of cheese on... A roof of cheese, as we like to call it. That is we like to call it. Um, and fresh mushrooms, which I always think is a plus. And the pepperoni, while buried under there, does cup a bit. Is likely cup. Yes. Okay. Let's dig into this. Safe to eat? Yep. Totally safe to eat. I it's am good. always terrified I'm going to burn my mouth because then no, it will ruin my next like four days. You're fine. A lot of salt hit me the moment. I know you'll appreciate that moment. Well, He's I, still going to put more salt on top no. of the I will tell you that I'm not because I have had magpie so many times. I know that it's one of the only places that I don't need to salt in advance. Not the pizza. We did salt the uh, the carrots the carrots that we had before, which were. But we're excellent. not judging the carrots. Not That's judging not carrots. part of the quest. We had, we had carrots and olives, and they were that was really very delicious. I would suggest putting them together. Yeah. Sounds weird. Totally works. For lack of leoparding, this crust is holding up way better than Boemas did. Like when it, you hold it in your hand. Yeah, like it's got more structure when you hold it, and a lot more bite when you eat it too. It's a little more crackery. Uh, yeah, it just like has more body, like more. It, it's just more solid. What do you think, Tony? Who's never had magpie pizza? I'm very impressed so far. I like the hit of salt right off the bat. The sauce is very balanced, um, not too sweet. As Kalise notes, it holds up really well. It's not floppy, and it's not too stiff. Atticus, why do you have to leave me and my oldest son and go to college? Why do you want to leave? Because I want to go to college. Why? For fun. Let your children leave your house. No. Yeah, Dad. Oh no. my gosh, that's, wow. Wow, that's a whole thing. I don't want to, but I also do. I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you, too. Visiting is possible. Wow. Yeah. What are you excited about? I'm excited to meet new people and be in a new community and what? experiencing new things in general. What in the curriculum that's not in your major are you psyched to take? I actually don't know what I'm taking yet. Oh, whatever. Happens, well, I don't think I we've said where you're going. Should we even divulge oh. that information? I'm going to Bard College. I could bleep it out if I need to. Oh, you do? I don't have to. Oh, okay. But maybe I want to, or maybe mom wants me to. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Fresh. Do you understand that you're going to be the person with the the friend with the car? Oh, I know. We've. I've had a lot of. My mom immediately was like, you cannot let people take advantage of you. Like, charge for gas money. Say no if you don't want to give somebody a ride. Start a designated driving service. Uh-huh. Yeah. Drunk people will forget that they already paid you for gas. Not that I ever took advantage of this when I was a child. 
Back to pizza? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the fresh mushrooms are, are very pungent and almost overwhelm the pepperoni on first bite. But I know Khalees is very big on fresh mushrooms versus canned mushrooms, so I'm interested on her take. <laughs> I'll tell you when I get pepperoni. Here's the thing, Magpie used to have this awesome pepperoni source in Vermont, and I don't know if that place went out of business or what happened, but that pepperoni was like the best pepperoni I've almost ever had. And this pepperoni is still very good, not quite as good as it used to be. Not a lot of it though, would you say, Khalees? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about this. That's my, like there's not enough pepperoni on this. And like when I do get pepperoni and mushrooms, there's a really good combination of like spice and funk between the mush the fresh mushrooms and the, the pepperoni that I quite like, but there's not enough pepperoni on this. There's a lot of mushrooms, which I appreciate, but not enough pepperoni. Maybe because we confused them by doing the whole two topping pizza thing. A custom pizza, maybe they they weren't accustomed to that. Thanks, Pax. This is the real reason why you're sad your children are leaving, because they indulge you. <laughs> they've, got, they've gotten used to this. Pax still laughs at the jokes. He's the last one. I do sometimes. You've come back to it. Yes, I, I have. Sometimes. I went through an embarrassed right. phase, and I think I'm getting out of my embarrassed phase. You're no longer embarrassed by me? No, I'm not. Thanks. Enzo, what do you think? About what? <laughs> okay. Given my relationship, with Magpie and Greenfield, given the fact that during the pandemic, we almost weekly got takeout from here, and the fact that my wife was in labor while meeting Dax Shepard here, I'm gonna recuse myself from final thoughts. Did you ever find out why Dax Shepard was here? He's filming a movie, but he oh. was sitting in the corner reading his New Yorker, having nice introvert time, and I um, like, went and interrupted him. Robert Downey Jr. was also in town at the time. It was when they were filming, what was it, The Judge? Your Honor, the deadline for filing a change of venue motion has already come and gone. But final thoughts on the pizza. Director Tony Dunn. I liked the salt at first, but I found that by the last slice, it was getting to be a bit much, so maybe a tad bit less salt. It could use a little more pepperoni. That said, it's a fabulous pie. Eight and a half out of 10. I will be back. Really enjoy Khalees Smith. I disagree on the salt lake, or maybe I just have higher thresholds for that sort of thing, but like I still think that out of what we've had so far, this is the best pie. Like structurally it's in like it's got the best structural integrity, it's got enough flavor without being too oregano y especially for a Neapolitan pie. And regardless of it not having enough pepperoni on its pepperoni. Do you mean irregardless? Uh, she's blankly staring at Monty with moderate disdain. I didn't think you were opposed to irregardless. It's in the dictionary. Uh, it's in the dictionary, but we had a whole discussion with the word nerd about how I don't generally use words that have the prefix ear. Anyway, continue. Um, should I? <laughs> okay. Out of the places that we've been, I think across the board, this is pretty much the best pie. It's the most evenly flavored and done pie that we've had. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. It is, out of the ones we've tasted thus far, I would say this is probably the top. Magpie's the one to beat. Pizza Quest. See who's up next. If you've got a Pizza Quest suggestion, send it our way, thefab413 at nepm.org, or text 1-800-639-9120. We will come to your 
pizza place. And you can eat with us. Yeah. We didn't bring Amy Traverso because she's too busy being famous. Yeah, I know. Yankee Magazine and all. Pax, what do you think about Magazine? It was the best dinner I've ever had. Is that because you were almost born underneath one of these tables here? Uh, no, because I don't remember that. I eat on the pasta twice just because she is... Coming up, retinal surgeon Longmeadow's doctor Andrew Lamb on his newest book, The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases. He's at the South Hadley Library this Wednesday. Up next, why India's moonshot is another shot across the bow of Russia and China in the global space race. You're listening to the Fab 413 on NEPM. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, with some kitchen table astronomy here at your kitchen table in Amherst. A little teaser. Next week's episode, we're going to do the Barbenheimer review. <laughs> I'm going to go see Barbie and Oppenheimer, and you're at least going to go see Oppenheimer, and we're going to talk about the horrors of nuclear technology and nuclear war. And also the horrors of Barbie. <laughs> Are you saying there's a chance that when we push that button... This doll. Not without its horrors. And we'll find out which one is more destructive overall for human society. Yeah, no, I think we're really looking forward to see both of those, actually. Oh, yeah, although, they're both, they look like they're both going to be fantastic. Although, most likely, we will just talk about Oppenheimer. That's true. Which is sad. Yeah. But that's I'll keep interjecting doing. little Barbieisms in the whole thing. But today we're talking about some exciting developments in the world of space travel from not the United States. Yes, so this past Friday... India launched a mission to the moon. It's not crude mission. Crude with a C R E W E, not meaning C R U D E. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, between Pakistan and India, you know, who knows, like, you know, what is it, how it is interpreted. Uh, but this is a pretty cool mission. So, India has sent Chandrayaan 1. This was, uh, I think, in 2009 or so. And uh, it was an orbiter. Chandrayaan, by the way, means moon craft in Hindi. Uh, and that mission actually helped discover, or like sort of like with other spacecrafts as well, water on the lunar South Pole. On the moon, the discovery of water has really changed the way people have been thinking about having settlements there. So in the South Pole, in the shadows of craters, now we know there is water ice. And right now, the plans are for the U.S. and China, at least, and others as well, uh, to have lunar settlements around that place because of this discovery that was also from Chandrayaan-1. And then a couple of years ago, in 2019, Indian space uh, organization, it's uh, ISRO or ISRO, they actually uh, sent a spacecraft with a lander. It had an orbiter as well. So orbiter was inserted successfully, but the lander failed. So this mission in some ways is uh, the completion of that. Chandrayaan-3, which got launched last Friday, it doesn't have an orbiter because the orbiter is still working, but it has a lander and a small rover as well. Did they get it to work this time? The launch has gone successfully. It's going to take about 40 days to get there. Uh, it's like one of those desert quests, biblical... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> That's right. It's going to take that because... Uh, so unlike the Apollo mission, which took a couple of uh, days to get there, th this particular mission, it, it's more like fuel efficient. Yeah. And so if you don't have sort of like a really powerful rocket, so how do you get there? So you use the gravity of the Earth 
I mean, it's really cool. I mean, if you think about it, these are all things based upon the way gravity works, our understanding of orbits. So basically, it, it is now in an elliptical orbit around the Earth where it's going to keep on getting in a bigger and bigger elliptical orbit because it's going to keep on getting more and more speed in some sense and momentum from the Earth. And it as it passes by, the spacecraft gives a little bit of its momentum to the Earth, which we don't feel, but the Earth gives it a little bit momentum to the spacecraft, which it feels a lot. And so it's going to keep on doing that. It and slingshots. Slingshots, exactly what it is. And then it's going to get to the moon. And the same thing, it's going to go on the moon in order to slow down. So it's going to be in the reverse thing and it's going to be slowing down using that. And then it's going to land. It's expected to land on August 23rd and August 24th, around that time. And it's going to land not exactly in the South Pole, but close to it. Uh, then the rover is going to expect to come, uh, come out. And then it's going to expect to work for about two weeks. And uh, so a lot of these things are about testing technology, testing these things are working or not. Of course, there is science as well. National pride is, of course, there. Uh, I think it's a, it's a big deal. And I think it's, it's really cool. We're in the middle of a new space race. Again, surrounding the moon, even though we already did this. But, you know, everything old is new again. We've got all of these Indiana Jones movies and things coming out that <laughs> came out 40 years ago. So why not have a whole new space race back towards the moon? What are the implications of this globally with so many nations only in some regards working together to explore the moon and outer space? Yeah, I mean, if I can say... It's an interesting time. So previous moon race was about who gets to the moon first, and the U.S. did. And so for the Soviet Union, basically it was like, ah, you know, there's no point to it because there was no thought what's going to happen further, how it's going to get established. And in fact, uh, Soviet Union actually changed its emphasis and started focusing on Venus. In fact, they are the only ones who have actually landed on Venus. Oh, wow. And so that actually was their focus. They were like, oh, you go to the moon, we'll go to Venus. <laughs> of course, it was a, a not a crewed mission. No, the other crew. Oh, yeah, right. So, uh, <laughs> so it wasn't uh, that, but certainly uh, they focused on that. Now it's different. Now there are a lot of countries that are thinking about using moon as a launching pad to go to mars or asteroids or other things because uh, the moon has less gravity so it's easier to launch a rocket off of the moon if you can get there and if there's water in certain locations that can be helpful too and of course some people had argued and they still argue uh, including uh, elon musk but there, there are others uh, from mars society who argue that we shouldn't go back to the moon just go directly to mars there's a mars direct but that's not what's going on and mar and the moon itself has significance and is taking more and more significance. It's not about that you are going to have a huge colony on the moon, but you can have research stations. And as I mentioned, sort of like, you know, so you can use the resources of the moon to potentially build spacecrafts over there also in the orbit. That's what sort of like, you know, plans are for. Uh, and just to give you an idea, so we are going to be talking more and more about the moon in the coming years. But just this year, so Indian mission has just been launched. Russia is launching Luna 25 in August to go to the moon. Their last mission was Soviet Union. It wasn't Russia, it was wow. Soviet Union in 1976. So Luna 24 was in 1976, and now they are sending a mission. Uh, and then there is uh, another mission, uh, which is from the Japanese space agency. It's called Smart Lander. Uh, for investigating moon or slim. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of effort goes into the acronyms. 
an astronomer should learn something from it because so that they don't keep on making very large telescope or extremely large telescope or large binocular telescope and so and so forth. That's but anyway, they name their telescope. They don't give them any cool names. That's right. So slim is. I, I think. I think it's. Uh, it, it's pretty good. Tokyo and, slim. <laughs> sounds like a Tom Waits song. Portland through his shack glass in a buffalo squeeze. And then uh, you also have a couple of private companies that are sending payload over there. Those are supported by NASA, funded by NASA. And uh, so, for example, one is from Intuitive Machines. Uh, it's uh, a Houston-based company. Wookie! This duet is with my dog, Wookie. <laughs> so, uh, contributing. He's not going to the moon, unlike... Some others that were sent and were not so like that Russian space dog. What's his name? Laika. Laika. Yeah. Oh, so and then there are poems about Laika. So oh, have you ever seen Kunk on Earth? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. So that's a Netflix show oh my in God. which there was a conversation about that. It's very funny if you get a chance. The scene to see. about Laika is so funny. She was launched on on a flight that was pretty much one way. There's a dead dog in space. So there's a dead dog somewhere in the back of a frame of every film shot in space, like Star Wars. I, I wouldn't there say... There are dead dogs in Star Wars. Um... That is unacceptable. Anyway. So anyway, so there are a lot of missions and next year China uh, is sending its mission back as well. So coming back, let's close the loop. The Indian space program is now tied closely to the US. You were talking about the space race. Obviously, there is a huge realignment also taking place. Um, India has now joined the Artemis program. So Artemis is the US-led uh, effort. Or you can think about US allies. And US is developing a framework that has a particular vision of what humans can and cannot do on the moon. The only treaty that everybody has signed, and we've talked about it, Monty, multiple times, but the only treaty that everybody, United Nations aspect, have signed about outer space is called the Outer Space Treaty, and that was signed in 1967, before humans actually went to the moon. But it's an idealistic treaty which said that no nation can own a piece of heavenly body, and if you use it, it should be for benefit of all, and so on and so forth. And there are a lot of questions about what happens in a <clears throat> very capitalist system, for example. And so there are newer interpretations, including from the US, which argues that, well, of course, it doesn't belong to anyone, but we can use it, right, for private purposes. And so uh, and we can use resources from the moon. So 27 nations have signed on to it, and the number is increasing over the period of time significantly. China and Russia have not signed onto the Artemis Treaty. China argues that any treaty that is going to be binding has to go through the United Nations. This treaty is not. So it is going to get litigated as well, but India just signed on to it. The, the other thing I should mention between India and China is that if this mission is successful, Chandrayaan-3, which is on its way to the moon, it will be uh, the only nation after China for the last basically in this century, uh, in the 21st century, to have successfully sent a lander on the moon and a rover. Uh, and uh, we have talked about Chinese Chang'e missions. Uh, one of them actually went to the far side of the moon, first time ever landing. And then uh, I think two years ago, there was another mission uh, that went uh, and brought samples back from the moon. The first time samples have been brought back since the Apollo time, and that was Chang'e 5. So this is all part of the larger context. More and more nations are going to go. It is 
I mean, I hate to say this, but I think it would be foolhardy to say that this is not part of the new space race. It is. We just hope, we were talking about seeing Oppenheimer. So I just hope that this does not turn into space war because, again, we are in an uncharted territory of what's going to happen on the moon, partly because there are limited resources, especially water, and it's only or mostly uh, available in the lunar South Pole. Hoping that Oppenheimer is less of the cautionary tale that we will learn from this new space race than Barbie. I think Barbie's going to be a more positive in the Barbenheimer universe way to look at this new space race. I hope, but who knows what Barbie is going to build. Like, you know, I mean, what kind of bomb Barbie builds. So I would raise caution about that as well. Barbie is the bomb. Barbie is the bomb. And next week, we'll review Barbenheimer. Barbie! Does this doll have a bomb? I know what it means. Up next, retinal surgeon Long Meadows Dr. Andrew Lamb on his newest book, The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. Dr. Andrew Lamb, MD from Longmeadow, is a retina surgeon at Bay State Medical Center and an assistant professor at UMass Medical School. He's also the author of four books. His newest book is The Masters of Medicine, Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanity's Deadliest Diseases. Dr. Lamb will be reading from his new book this Wednesday evening, July 19th at 6.30 at the South Hadley Public Library. Dr. Lamb, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. No problem. I think this book is a really fun read because it is a history of medicine, but it doesn't feel like you're reading a history book or a history mm-hmm. textbook. It's in all these very palatable bite-sized doses. I know that uh, there are some digestive issues that come up in this book, but I also <laughs> mentioned that you could read this in the bathroom, and it would be perfect for that because you can read it episodically. A little chapter here That's about right. this, a little sa- chapter here about that. Um, the, why did you want to go wash your hands vigorously after learning the <laughs> like lessons a, within? Like a doctor would, and like everyone should. The movie like will be sure to be rated R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as, I, as I want to mention, the book also mentions as doctors eventually did. Yes, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of good, interesting stuff that we take for granted now that for shows sure. up in this book. Um, I do like the bold opening of the book that says, in a quote by you, by the end of this century, we will have found a cure for cancer, said very confidently. And you, you believe that firmly? Well, I think that that's, um, that's almost definitely going to be the case for some cancers. I mean, if you think about the history of cancer, 100 years ago, we had almost n- nothing we could effectively do beyond surgery to s- simply excise a tumor. Radiation was in its infancy. And think about the cancers that we can cure today. And Cancer is a condition that's really over a hundred different diseases. So I'm confident in the next century we're going to have cures for some of those, if not a lot of them. What do you mean by that? It's a hundred different diseases. So there, 
cancer is a condition that there, there's a great variation, great heterogeneity. You know, there are some indolent cancers like chronic myelogenous leukemia. Even within the leukemia, there's another kind of leukemia that's incredibly acute. Some of these cancers can be indolent and not be even that life-threatening. Prostate cancer is a cancer where we even debate whether we should do uh, treatments because maybe the patient will out will, the, the cancer won't actually harm the patient till he's after his lifespan for example and there's other conditions of course of cancers that are very very you know acute and tragic the book is called the masters of medicine our greatest triumphs in the race to cure humanity's deadliest diseases there are a lot of names that are mm-hmm. lost to history except for in this book of history that you've written but one of the first people that you start to write about is a uh, uh, a, a maverick yes. when it comes to the world of heart disease. We're reading for a while about a person named Richard, and then the uh-huh. big reveal happens that that Richard happens to be... I don't think it's too much of a spoiler alert. It's it's actually Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a political book, but he is unique because he's a public figure who basically was able to benefit from all these amazing developments in cardiology, almost that seemed to hit the scene right when he needed them. So they, it's not because <laughs> he was Dick Cheney was getting preferential treatment. It's just the the timing of when Dick yeah, Cheney's heart decided to fail. Of him getting sick when he got sick. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he famously did not get special treatment. For example, when he got his heart transplant in 2012, um, he was a guy who basically got uh, his first heart attack in his 30s. If you recall, he was a very young chief of staff to Gerald Ford, like a wonderkin kind of 34-year-old guy. And then he had basically four heart attacks between the 70s and 2000. And he got, you know, he got catheterization when it was new, stents. He got um, a heart transplant, an LVAD, which is a left ventricular assist device. I mean, this gentleman has been kept alive because of the miracles of modern medicine. And obviously, he's just an example that you know, millions of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives have been saved because these cardiologists have done a lot of amazing things. I used to think that as an arrogant ophthalmologist, all the best discoveries were made in my field. I even wrote a book called Saving Sight about that. <laughs> but when I started reading about cardiology, I realized, wow, they, they've got some pretty amazing stuff that we benefited from too. Do you think that every doctor thinks that the best yeah. innovations happen in their field? Uh, I think that'd be a natural. <laughs> I mean, I think in, in my field of retina, I, I actually have a claim to that because we've got some great stuff we can do. But um, I'm sure people are very, uh, you know, they're, they <laughs> they're like their field a lot. Do. Exactly. They're proud of what they Medically do, territorial. <laughs> yes. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Lamb from Long Meadow, who is a retinal surgeon at Bay State Medical Center, assistant professor at UMass Medical School, and who has a new book called The Masters of Medicine Our Greatest Triumphs in the Race to Cure Humanities deadliest diseases. You'll be at the South Hadley Public Library on Wednesday. Uh, What I like about this book is that there are a lot of failures that show up in this book, and the failures are what ultimately lead to success. So there's this idea that we're talking about mavericks here, Mm -hmm. that uh, there's an experimentation that sometimes maybe toes the line of ethics as to what we need to do to advance medicine forward. That's right. You know, one of my favorite examples of ethics and being a maverick, for example, is um, the story of Edward Jenner, for example. Now, this is a guy who got this idea. He'd heard in the 1790s, wow, I've heard these milkmaids don't get smallpox because they've got this more innocuous condition that's called cowpox, which they get from milking udders of cows. And he says to himself, hmm, I wonder if I could, like, give a kid cowpox and maybe that will make him immune to smallpox. So he just takes this kid and gives him some cowpox 
pustules. He gets a little sick. He recovers. And then he does something incredibly unethical. If the first part wasn't unethical enough, <laughs> right. wait until I mean, the one This is punch. a kid, right? So he's not really able to give consent in our n- modern sense of the world. He, he basically inoculates him with smallpox, a deadly disease, on, to basically to validate a hunch. Now, if he makes a mistake, he's a murderer. But history only win- remembers the winners, right? So now he's a hero. It's also worth noting linguistically that vaccine, the word vaccine mm-hmm. and vodka, right. cow, milk, they come That's from this, came from. They come That's the right. same etymology and the same story about this very, exactly. this maverick risk-taking, potentially sociopathic doctor. <laughs> exactly. Who is willing to put this child's life on the line, but who has ultimately saved millions, right. if not billions of lives since then. That's what, I mean, it is what's very, very interesting uh, about this book. And the other thing, another, and it goes not just in the world of retinal, where you start, or heart, like Dick Mm -hmm. Cheney, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, but diabetes is another big part of this book. And what stuck out to me that was really interesting was that it is the first disease that comes from too much food rather than too little. That's right. You know, it's easy to forget that diabetes was a complete death sentence to kids more than 100 years ago. And it's only because of these incredible maverick doctors in Canada, um, Frederick Banting being the most famous of them, who basically discovered insulin in 1921. But the treatment before insulin, which of course is a miracle drug that has made diabetes a kind of a chronic manageable illness for us all, it was to starve kids. Because it was a situation where, can you imagine being a parent and being told food is literally going to kill your child? And now, with diabetes 2 being basically an epidemic, type 2 being an epidemic, we're now in a situation where, for the first time in human history, we're dying from eating too much food, not too little. It's an incredible reversal. What's your take on food as medicine? I was lucky enough to be invited to cover the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health. And the mayor of New York City spoke about his own condition, which had to do with blindness, actually. He Mm. he was going blind because of diabetes. His mother had also gone blind because of diabetes. He was convinced to change to an all plant-based diet. And he said within months, all of his conditions had improved. He convinced his mother to do a similar yeah. diet. What, where is, what's well, your take as a retinal specialist? Right. And as a so doctor? that's the kind of condition that I actually treat, diabetic retinopathy a lot. But you're right. I mean, I think that nobody, nobody doesn't realize that our, for example, our American diet isn't the most healthy, right? Like we're eating so much, you know, processed foods and a lot of red meat, cholesterol-laden foods. The best diet is probably kind of this plant-based, I think of Japanese people and how their longevity and how they're basically eating much less red meat, more fish, more plant-based stuff. There's no question that that's, that's a good thing for us. We're speaking with Dr. Andrew Lamb, who is a retinal specialist at Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, who has a new book, The Masters of Medicine, and he'll be at the South Hadley Library on Wednesday. I have a question, but I think we should take a break before I ask it because it's going to be a, a larger. Oh, ask a te- thing. like a teaser, and then we'll take a break, and then you can come back. And so, I can Wikipedia uh, the answer real quick. So. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> it's just because there's a recurring theme of like the importance and resurgence. Uh, of antiseptic behavior as it applies to some of these diseases. It's in your trauma chapter. It's in your childbirth mm. ch- birth chapter. It's in the one with um, with uh, President Garfield's yes, assassination. Yes. There's this recurrence of the importance of like people keeping things clean and how mm-hmm. hard it was to drive that point home. And I just want yeah. to think about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll think about that. Plus, learn about the history of the Jimmy Fund when we talk with Dr. Andrew Lamb on the other side of this break. 
You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the... I can't believe you... You don't like Bon Jovi's bad medicine when we're talking to a doctor about the masters of medicine, Dr. Andrew Lamb? <laughs> and the bad medicine that we have been through in order to get to the good stuff that actually works. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. We are with Dr. Andrew Lamb from Long Meadow. And just before the last break, I asked a question about the recurring theme of keeping things clean because it seems like an ongoing process, at least in the history of mm-hmm. medicine, where someone somewhere realizes, oh, wait, Maybe this is terrible because we're all filthy and everyone around them goes, no, that can't possibly be it for like 200 years. (laughs) This recurring theme of like the arrogance of the establishment, the arrogance of the doctors of the day, you know, this this idea of antisepsis that invisible microbes could be causing the diseases that harm us, that that just was disbelieved by so many people, you know, just. One of the examples that, I, uh, that is an unforgettable story is the story of Ignaz Semmelweis, who was this obstetrician in Vienna in the late 1840s. And he, he didn't understand the germ theory, but he realized that something was happening. Some deadly material was coming fr- um, from these doctors' hands when they were doing autopsies, not washing their hands, and then going to do pelvic exams. <laughs> and these women, unfortunately, would get purple fever or childbed fever after a normal delivery. A few days later, they'd literally get septic and die. And it would happen over and over and over. And he would tell people, I've figured this out. We should wash our hands. And basically, people thought he was crazy. I mean, long story short, he actually was drummed out of his hospital, went into eventually into an insane asylum, and there, ironically, was beaten, got septic, and died. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He was yelling, wash your hands the whole time they were beating Yeah, him. exactly. That would have been great. <laughs> Another thing that sticks out in this book is the idea between these mavericks and serendipity, the times sure. where something... Uh, accidentally happened amazingly. And I think a lot of people know that penicillin Mm -hmm. came from mold. But you say that almost everything else that you talk about in this book would have eventually been discovered except for penicillin. Well, that's right. Penicillin is one of the greatest stories. And and the thing about penicillin, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of have heard about the serendipitous finding where this guy named Alexander Fleming found a wayward mold that landed on a petri dish of bacteria in his lab. And he just happened to notice serendipitously that the bacteria around the mold had been killed Ironically, he doesn't actually deserve the most credit for discovering penicillin as a medicine. He, he didn't really do much with it at the time. Ten years later, these guys from Oxford basically developed it as a medicine, which helped all these soldiers in World War II, and they are the ones who get most of the credit for penicillin. But getting back to what you had mentioned, it's true. The, they found out later that of the penicillium molds in the world— there were only two or three that had bactericidal properties, and the chance that one of them would happen to land on a petri dish in his in his um, lab just beggars belief, essentially. So I really feel that many of these con- discoveries really would have eventually been made, even if the person who we consider the maverick who discovered them wasn't around. This one, maybe not. We would have found other antibiotics, but penicillin is a true miracle drug. It's pretty amazing. Another story that um, you wrote for the Republican, it was a front Mm -hmm. page story and it deals with cancer and the maverick who was trying to fight childhood cancer has to do with what we know as the Jimmy Fund. Right. Talk about uh, the Jimmy Fund and Sidney Farber. Sure. I love this story because it's a Massachusetts story. Yes. (laughs) Sidney Farber was this highly regarded pathologist at Boston Children's Hospital in the 40s. And he could have just kind of coasted on his laurels. He was the chairman of the department. But he actually gave that 
uh, he made a turn in his career. He decided to take on something extremely tragic, that's childhood leukemia. And this is a disease, cancer of blood cells, where basically it's killing kids two, three, four years of age. It's very, very sad. And there was a 100% death rate. And he had heard that there was a doctor in India who was able to use folate or folic acid to help treat a nutritional anemia. And he thought to himself, well, that's a blood disease. Let me see if I can use it for leukemia. So we gave it to kids, and it was a horrible mistake. You know, he literally it hastens their death. Quickly. Exactly. It was like, it was horrible. And he was, you know, criticized by his colleagues, and it was just a bad situation. And most people, I think, in that situation would say, you know what, I quit. But he did the opposite. He learned from his error which was a very important characteristic of Farber. And he said, well, wait a second. If folates are going to hurt these patients, what if I gave them an antifolate, an antagonist of folic acid, and see what happens? And doing that, he was able to, the first, for the first time in history, put leukemia into remission. And so now it's a great. He's like got this drug. He wants to do more research. He wants to save more kids. And to do that, he needs money. And he needs to start a charity fund. And to do that successfully, he wants to find kind of a poster child for this fund. And so he thinks about the kids on his ward. And there's this one 12-year-old boy named Einar Gustafsson from Maine who's responded well to the treatments. And he says, this could be a, a, a great kid to use to kind of represent all American kids with cancer who have it. And he wanted to protect Einar's identity. So he said, I'm going to give him a pseudonym. And he chose the name Jimmy. What's interesting is now a lot of people, and myself included, associate the Jimmy Fund with the Boston Red Sox. With baseball, there's mm-hmm. a huge telethon that goes on every year on the, mm-hmm. in the broadcast. But e- even the beginning of this fund had to do with baseball, but not the Boston Red Sox, right. the Boston Braves. And you found a clip from the first yeah, radio it's, broadcast it's on about Dana the Jimmy Fund. the Dana-Farber website. Yeah, because Einar Gustafsson was this – he loved the Boston Braves, right? That was the team and that he loved. And – do I can Yeah, go this on. is a clip um, featuring the original yeah. Jimmy being visited by the Boston he Braves. He was introduced to the nation in a nationwide broadcast. <laughs> All right, engineers, Johnny Pollock here and in Boston. Give us Jimmy, please. Hello, Jimmy. Hi. Hi, Jimmy. This is Ralph Edwards of the Truth or Consequences radio program. Uh, well, I, I heard you like baseball. Is that right? Yes, that's my favorite sport. It's your favorite sport. Uh, Who do you think is going to win the pennant this year? The Boston Braves, I hope. (laughs) Which one of the Boston Braves is your favorite player? Johnny Sane. Johnny Sane, the pitcher? Yeah. Yeah, he's won 20 games twice in two years in a row, hasn't he? Uh, Who who is the, or more than that, who is the catcher? Phil Macy. That's right, Phil Macy, a member of the National League All-Stars team for several seasons. Have you ever met Phil Macy? No. Hi, Jimmy. My Hi. name is Bill Macy. Well, who is that, Jimmy? Bill Macy. Well, where is he? In my room. Well, what do you know? Right there in your hospital room. Yeah, that's uh, Bill Macy from Berwyn, Illinois. Who's the best home run hitter on the team, Jimmy? Jeff Heath. Yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll bet you can sock him, too. Well, who's that, Jimmy? Jeff Heath. Yeah. <laughs> right in your room there? Yeah. Oh, yes, that's Jeff Heath. He's second only Ted Williams last year in home runs. That is from May 22nd, 1948. It's from the Dana-Farber website, and that was the original Jimmy of the Jimmy Fund. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I just love that. Imagine just listening to this in your home in 1948, and this adorable kid, all his heroes are coming in, and, and basically the host has told you that this boy has cancer. And I, I don't know if you'll play it, but there's after this recording, he... He, Jimmy goes off the air in Boston, and the hostess who's in L.A. basically tells, tells the country 
you know, let's try to help all these little boys, like save uh, these boys and girls like Jimmy and donate to this fund. And it was an incredibly powerful broadcast because it, there was an incredible response. Even that very night, people walked down to the Boston Children's Hospital to, to the lobby trying to give a donation. People would send letters addressed to Jimmy, Boston <laughs> MA. Wow. It was, it was just, an, you know, it was a day when, you know, radio was obviously the most important way of communicating with the nation. What do you mean so. was? <laughs> Well, you know, if like social to media to New today. Public media. <laughs> Come to the lobby. Yes, you can write it out to Jimmy if you want to, but we're uh, good. No, yes. Yeah. But and they have that broadcast, and still to yeah. this day, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Because who can't get behind the idea yeah. of trying to help uh, remove, get rid of, cure childhood That's cancer? Right. So you've written this whole book about innovations and like mavericks in medicine. Are there any lessons that you've taken from the things that you've encountered that you're able to bring into either your practice or your classes when you're teaching? Yeah. I mean, I, I think on a daily basis, it's not it's very difficult to kind of identify the people who are going to make the incredible discoveries for the for our, you know, that's going to benefit us and and win the Nobel Prize, for example. But I think what I've what I've learned, you know, the most important thing in these all of these incredible discoveries for the last 150 years is not really hard work, serendipity, um, perseverance even. Those are all very important. But the really most important thing is being a maverick, somebody who's willing to look outside the box, someone who's able to withstand lots of ridicule and opposition because they believe so strongly in what they are doing. And the key is to find and somehow encourage and nurture these mavericks in the future. So hopefully we'll have our kids, you know, enjoy uh, encouraging them to go into STEM and, and pursue science. And uh, hopefully some doctor or scientist, future doctor out there, or future scientist will be the guy who's helping all of us when we're in the hospital someday. <laughs> <laughs> Try hopefully not, not there because of our beliefs for yeah. changes that should happen in medicine. <laughs> Try not to kill anyone along the way with the, as being That's a maverick right. as some of the mavericks in this book do. The book is The Masters of Medicine by Dr. Andrew Lamb from Longmeadow will be at the South Hadley Public Library this Wednesday. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Tomorrow on The Fabulous 413, we head to Jacob's Pillow and Beckett to talk with the folks there about how they continue to bring movement to the Berkshires. Plus a chat with the new Massachusetts Director of Rural Affairs, Ann Gobi. We'll hear more on her office's concerns after last week's flooding and the tornadoes of this past weekend. And some positive agricultural news, ice cream from Granville Farm in Granville. Our director is Tony Navigate, Navigating Hilltown Washouts Done. Our engineer is Betsy No, My Opinion Cannot Change Langto. Our technical team is Bart, Feisty Mouth, Bones, Rankin, Kara, Escape from Naptown, Complete Foster and Punk Rude Boy Dubay. Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Suitcase Junket, Down by Law, Louis Prima, Barbara Strassen, Wu-Tang Clan, Star Trek, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Tom Waits. I'm Khalees Smith. I'm Monty Belmonte. See, See you tomorrow, tomorrow on The, the Fabulous, Fabulous 413. 413.